Hello, everyone. Welcome to BSA Today. I'm your host, Tony Gordon, and I'm here with my lovely co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Sydney, and we are here today with Mr. Andrew Parker, who is not only the co-founder of the Alberta Black Teachers Association, but also a teacher at Emu Lizard. Hi, I'm Mr. Parker. Uh, in the name of the Beneficent Benevolent, one of all praises do I give praise to you. So I just want to acknowledge our creator. I also want to acknowledge um, Mother Earth, Father Time for the, the benefits they give society on a daily basis. Um, yes, I'm a teacher. also consider myself a, a proud member of the Black community, African Caribbean community here in Edmonton, uh, Alberta and Canada. <clears throat> but most importantly, I'm a father of two amazing children um, who I love more than anything in the world and a husband to a queen from uh, Uganda. So I just wanted to say that. Proud member of the Caribbean, uh, an African community here and a uh, lover of all. Thank you so much. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump straight into the starting questions. So the first question for you, Mr. Parker, is in the Alberta Teacher Association magazine, there was mm -hmm. a story about you growing up as a Black student in Edmonton. Yes. My question for you is what's one piece of advice you would give to your younger self or current Black students within Edmonton? Stay hopeful. Stay passionate know that at some times you will get challenged um there will be barriers um there will be there'll be moments of the heart where you where you will ask yourself is this really humanity uh that i'm experiencing and then there'll be beautiful moments that show you exactly why it's important to identify with your culture um to love your community and to to love all communities and to learn from all communities so the advice I give to myself is to stay hopeful because sometimes, and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough, is the experience of our youth right now. Um, the youth see the same images that adults do, and sometimes they see it before the adults are able to have a conversation with, with our youth in the community. And in those conversations, we need to be honest with each other. Like, how do you feel about this situation? Um, do you feel like talking about it? Do you not feel like talking about it? I think the youth need a lot of support and there's a lot, there's many amendments to certain policies that exist currently in education that I will proudly stand in solidarity with our youth on. So stay hopeful, uh, young, young African, Caribbean um, youth, stay hopeful, stay hungry, stay passionate and stay together. Thank you, Mr. Parker. Our next question for you is in the Alberta Teachers Association magazine had some great articles you wrote or contributed to. Can you share with us why you chose to become a teacher and also who were some of the people in your life who inspired you to become a teacher and do the work that you were doing? Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to become a teacher because I had a very positive um, relationship with my basketball coach, Tom Olniski, who I consider one of my greatest allies in my entire educational career. Um, he was of Polish and Ukrainian heritage, but he treated all of the youth, the Asian youth, the Muslim youth, the Arab youth, the Black youth, he treated all of us like we were his kids. There was zero appropriation. There was zero uh, sentiments of racism. There was zero desire to say the N-word. There was zero uh, supremacy. Um, he actually just believed that we could be whatever we wanted to be in the future. So he was a really big reason why I became a teacher because I wanted to do the work that he did. And he was very kind and humble, but he also was uh, made sure that we were disciplined too, because he knew that, you know, for three short years in high school, after that, you are 18. 
and you're black in society and you know the world's going to show you lots of stuff and you have to be prepared um another reason i want to be a teacher is my mom my mom is uh was a teacher at nate for about 30 years i think she might have been the one of the first black instructors there at nate you know education in itself is such a beautiful profession because you get to meet people every single day and you also get to hold very powerful conversations and talk about tough topics um, and I love that stuff. I don't shy away from it. And that's why I wanted to be a teacher, to be around kids so they can have someone who could support them in those conversations. Thank you. Next question for you is, can you share with us your journey or main inspiration in creating the Black Teachers Association? Absolutely. But this journey wasn't, you know, me personally, I have to say this, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't an individual journey. It was a lot of us at the time, Black teachers saying, how many more times are we going to see these injustices in society related to our community. How many times are we going to wait for leaders in education to speak? And then when they don't, then we have to speak again. How many times are we going to walk into the classroom and have to put on that strong face when in reality, we're thinking about all the things that are happening in our community? We wanted to support each other. And, and for some of us, we wanted to know that there were others that existed in this profession. We were never given that opportunity. We were never given an opportunity to have like professional development where we could learn from each other and talk about our experiences of being black educators. It was never provided. We wanted to provide that in this generation. And we were in the quest uh, shortly after my speech at the Edmonton Legislature, where I said a lot of stuff that I'm hoping a lot of people um, had an opportunity to engage with, but still there were barriers in education. We wanted to address representation, communication, um, anti-racism, providing support within schools for our Black youth and bridges to post-secondary institutions, which we've uh, amazingly done over the last two years. And I just talked to U of A's BSA and we're doing some work with them at the end of the month. So those are our goals. Um, we wanted to find each other. We wanted to support each other. And we kept asking questions like, why is there only one or two Black people in the school? Why are there only like one or two Black teachers? This doesn't make any sense. What's happening? And we address these questions in the best way alongside our beautiful allies who have bravely walked alongside us. So, yeah. Thank you. So we have a question that's been sent in by a student at SCONA, and their question is, would you say that the Black Teachers Association has similar goals and means to the BSA at SCONA? And if so, why or why not? Without a doubt and without a question. What we're starting to see, which is amazing for me, because the last time I saw this, I mean, I wasn't born, but I, I studied the 1960s civil rights movement where there were bridges from elementary, junior high, high school, college, university, professions, and businesses and community at large. We're streamlining our efforts. So for me, um, a big part of the uh, BTA is supporting the youth. How can I say I'm adequately supporting the youth if we don't support BSAs? And this is a question I've posed to a number of different uh, school boards, districts, government positions related to education is how can you say you care about the community but you don't even interact with the bsas that, that should be plan number one strategy number one to actually hear the voices not worrying about controlling those voices but letting them be themselves so i would say i'm in very in line with the work that you're doing um but also the other bsas that exist uh, in edmonton um o'leary just started their bsa it was uh teacher sponsors from the bta um millwoods christian has one jasper place one of their co-teacher sponsors is with BTA. You know, at East Glen High School, we have Zach Tafase doing incredible work. So yeah, we're, we're in it to win it. We're in it together and we're pushing together to, for a safer and more inclusive um, society, let alone education. 
A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Our next question is, what are your thoughts on the importance of marginalized youth having role models in all jobs and workplaces? Well, for me, it was something I desired from a very young age. In junior high, I had one Black teacher in the school. Her name was Mrs. Millington. I never had her for a specific class, but knowing that she was in the building made me feel safer as a Black youth, made me feel represented, made me feel like if something did go in the other direction and it was harmful, that I can talk to somebody from my culture who understands what it's like. If we don't give these opportunities and, dare I say, demand them or make them mandates, it's very easy to have one ethnicity um, be overrepresented in education. If we're truly to be a diverse and equitable society, should not our professions reflect this? For the youth who desire that and want to see someone like them, continue to desire, continue to push, because that's exactly what we're pushing for right now. Um, The psychological benefits, the mental benefits, the social benefits, the spiritual benefits, the educational benefits, and not only that, seeing someone do a role that potentially you would like to do one day. And if you don't, they'll support you in whatever career you choose. But just having that added layer is important. Uh, That was a great answer. Thank you so much for that. As someone who is so involved within the Black community in Alberta, Canada, Edmonton, what is one of your favorite ways to kind of be able to connect with marginalized youth? Forums, summits, face-to-face, one-on-one, and talking to our youth, not just when bad things happen. Um, That goes for, I would say, the whole of education, not just like our community. It seems that when bad things happen, that's when we're like, okay, let's take care of this. But what about peace times? What are we doing to achieve peace times? Um, How can we amplify your voice and the events that you're doing? Um, I love the conversations. I like the one-on-ones where there's no cameras as well, because sometimes it's, you know, a little bit more truthful, a little bit more honest, a little bit more vulnerable. And those spaces are so important. Um, But for me as a teacher right now is having a, a Black Student Association in my high school. Um, letting the kids have that one or two days where they can come to the room anytime they want, talk about whatever they want, and also support the community and plan events and amplify the voices of their brothers and sisters. And also share ideas with some folks from outside of culture who literally generally just want to learn about us. So one-on-one, face-to-face, that's my favorite. I agree with that. Our next question is... Do you believe that the rise of awareness towards racism will highlight the need for Black culture to be taught in schools? I think it's for sure, definitely for our our culture, um, there is a necessity. But I also think that we should have more of a global understanding as opposed to a Eurocentric understanding of what education is. Um, I would even take that one step further. I have some very good friends right now in my master's degree um, who taught me quite a bit about um, Indigenous research methodology, um, which in many ways mirrors a lot of aspects of our culture, Afrocentric research methodology, if there is one. And if there isn't, I hope there is one. Racism happens when silence happens. If we don't address it, if it's inside of our schools and we say, oh, no, it's it's just a few bad apples or this is a, a minor incident, what we're actually telling ourselves is that we have zero intention of solving the problem. And I, I don't, I just don't believe in that anymore. I don't believe in, you know, Oh, this is just this and that's just that. And I I think it's time to actually just say, well, that was a racist statement. You did say the N word or you did address this student as if they were an animal. 
or you disrespected this young sister's hair, I would rather us address it to fix it. So racism in itself is one challenge, but we need to also celebrate Black excellence in education. So those would be the two topics I think they should immediately add into the curriculum as fast and as soon as possible. Please and thank you. (laughs) Could you expand on this a bit more? Like, as in, like, what ways have you noticed that the Eurocentric methodologies are different from African or Indigenous ways on knowing and understanding the world? Well, it's as simple as um, social studies 10. There is one aspect in the curriculum that discusses citizenship and identity. But in the social studies, they specify that by talking about the difference in worldviews. Some worldviews see top, bottom, okay? Whatever's at the top is important. Whatever's at the bottom is marginalized. And then there's some ideologies, worldviews, that look at the world like this, like a circle. And this is a terrible circle. I apologize, okay? But within the circle, all human beings exist. All uh, plant life exists. All knowledge exists. Everything is shared. There's no one who's best. There's no one who's the worst. We're all just learning together. Um, The Eurocentrism that exists in education, let's put it this way. In some textbooks, you will only see some Black people for like a paragraph. What does that say to the Black youth who's reading this textbook saying, well, I love social studies, but why am I only provided one paragraph in the textbooks that is 345 pages long? That's further marginalization. Another thing in terms of Eurocentric education is the desire for the community to have representation. I think at this point in time, it's it's harmful to only have one or two or three people of color as educators in your school. Um, if we're if we're as forward thinking as we're projecting in some of our diversity and equity initiatives, why isn't anyone addressed this? Why isn't anyone said okay? Let's uh, let's add a few principal positions here. I was, you know, there, <laughs> I can't say specifically, but um, there was a board that um, posts their principalships uh, whenever they're available. And I waited for an entire year to see if, you know, there'd be some people of color. And sadly, there wasn't. So it takes outside bodies, grassroots initiatives, the youth, as well as our elders to keep pushing and saying, guys, you keep saying that you're helping the community. Can you please provide us with some substance here? Can you please say one thing tangibly other than we created a team to address the situation? No, 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 no. We need teachers in the room. We need textbooks to reflect it. We need courses to reflect it. And we need that immediately. Um, I have another follow-up question. Sure. Um, What can kids do to advocate for the changes that you are mentioning? Well, just last week, there was an incident that happened in a board where the youth took to their social media and shared some information related to some things that were happening to some students. The youth have such a powerful influence right now. You guys have a big voice. Um, Every dance that comes out, we follow it. Every song that gets played, it goes on the playlist. And look at Amanda Gorman, her powerful speech at the Biden inauguration. In one instance, she captured the hearts of America briefly and made them be aware of how momentous it was to have a first black female uh, vice president. Um, And not only just to be aware of it, just to know that the ball is still rolling and we just don't want any more hurdles. We wanna keep going forward. Please stop throwing barriers in front of us, keep going forward. And you guys have a voice, you can do that anytime you want. And it's important for youth to also find adults 
who feel the exact same way. Um, because sometimes as adults, we are the barriers. We don't support you enough. Um, and I want to take the rest of my career, if I'm continuing teaching uh, in secondary level, um, to support the youth because uh, you guys are the future and you deserve to be supported. When you say kind of keeping the ball rolling, how do we make sure that when we have the such a great amount of kind of support, we don't kind of lose that by keeping things going on too long or not doing enough stuff to keep people interested? Organization, organization, period. Even <laughs> for Black History Month at my school, we have like six or seven subcommittees, all student-led, all committed to various elements. But at the end, when we come together, we have that synergy. We have that conversation. Okay, how's the music playlist thing going? Perfect. How's the art show going? Okay, this person's involved. Excellent. Uh, how about the announcements? Do you guys need some support for the speeches? Do you need to practice with somebody else? Okay, reaching out to the community. Okay, is this speaker coming in? Did you have that conversation? Okay, next week, Monday, we're all going to meet in the class and discuss it again. The consistency happens by having that space and space and not taking it away, having the ideas and not dismissing them, and also holding the institutions accountable. If they say they're helping during Black History Month, that's great. What about Black History March and Black History April and Black History, you know what I'm saying, May, June, July? You have to be, you, you, you unfortunately and fortunately have to be persistent. Systems don't change in the blink of an eye. We've seen various incarnations of movements, women's movement, pride movement, anti-Islamophobia movement, Black Lives Matter, but you need to be persistent and you need to hold yourselves accountable. So I think that would be a very good strategy and it starts with organization. You have to be organized. Good question. Good follow-up question. Thank you. So our next kind of follow-up question with that one is what messages do you have to share with our communities about Black History Month and what can we do to move past just celebrating it in February and kind of celebrating it all year? I really, I really love that question. So I myself, like I grew up in a particular faith where every December we celebrate the life of somebody, right? That's how I grew up. Um, now the December, everyone has a really good time and they support each other. But I guess if I were to ask that question to someone who came from that faith, I'd say, well, how do we maintain our sense of faith or spirituality or our religion for the other 11 months? Well, there's tons of ways. In that religion, you go to church, um, you read the Bible, or you get flipped on, on its side and say, we go to the mosque, or, or we read the Quran. Um, there's various ways to add consistency to messaging. So for instance, if they give you one black teacher, the very next year, say, okay, are we going to get another one? <laughs> are we going to get a third? Are we going to get a fourth? Are we going to get a fifth? And then from there, look at other communities and say, okay, well, this community has a high population of um, South Asian or Arab Muslim. Does our staff represent this? Every single year, every single month, ask these questions. So Black History Month is like the introduction, but every other month, that's the body paragraph and the conclusion. So the introduction is great and starts with a bang, but we want body paragraph number one to be 10 out of 10, number two to be 10 out of 10, three to be 10 out of 10, conclusion of five out of five, and we'll have minimal spelling and grammar mistakes. Thank you. Um, I actually have a follow-up question for your answer to that. Sure. With the consistency and 
like continuing to like ask for these things or like voice your opinion and such. How do mm-hmm. you think students can do that in a way without seeming aggressive or like coming across as like annoying in a sense? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> aggressive and annoying. If someone were to view the youth who have never had something in that way, how are they adequately or effectively supporting them? Um, for me, when my youth in my school ask me these questions, my answer most times is yes. Yes, you want to do this? You want to do that? Okay, good. Let's go. It's a tough question to answer because the consistency has to be something supported by more than one adult. Like You guys are very fortunate to have Mr. Calvitis and Mr. Ando, and my students are lucky to have a few of us in our school that will advocate for them um, on various initiatives. My very good um, colleague uh, just actually switched schools last year, but he was involved with the Gay Straight Alliance for 10 years, 10 straight years. And now that he's left, like we still have like our GSA. But I have to ask the question, how well are we supporting these educators that are committed to this work? Because even for the educators, it can be stressful. It can be taxing. What are we doing to support them in these roles? So like to kind of answer your question, like it's, it's, it's still an, a work in progress because we have to figure out, number one, if this system is truly serving everyone or is it only serving the few? So it's a big question. I think it's ongoing. Okay, thank you. Um, our next question is, what are so, have been some highlights in your career so far? Number one, the ledge speech was great. Number two is me and Sarah collaborating between Edmonton Catholic and public. Sarah becoming the Canadian uh, teacher in residence at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Matthew, who is like our co-founder from Calgary, uh, he got a race-based consultant job. First um, race-based consulting group in Calgary's Board of Education. Getting a presence at GetCo was huge for us, the teacher's convention, because we never had one before. Um, and that also opens a lot of opportunities for us to talk to teachers, not just in Edmonton, but across Alberta. The BTA's Instagram is doing phenomenal. The DMs literally in the first in the first month, we had about 200 DMs that me and Sarah had to go through, and they're very good questions. Um, as a result of that, a number of people were able to join the team and uh, take a little bit of the load off. So for my highlights as a, as a teacher, those are a few. Um, and then, I don't know, when I coached basketball, I was able to get coach of the year, and I was really happy for that because I wanted to honor um, my basketball coaches. So, I mean, I, if you would ask me this question five years ago, I would have told you just about basketball. Um, but things have changed. Things have really, really, really changed. So I have to highlight um, the other beautiful things that I'm very proud of being a part of. Great. Thank you. That's actually a very, like, those are some very good answers, especially now that we're also going to be speaking to Sarah in another upcoming episode for the Black History Month special. So we're also looking forward to that with her as well. But our next question for you is honestly just what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? Um, um, hmm. If my career was a star, each point would be would be glimmering and, and, and sharp at the same time. Um, I'm back in uh, University of Alberta for a master's degree um, in educational policy studies with a specification in social justice and international studies. I'd like to pursue that to the furthest extent. I'm considering going in that direction um, in terms of teaching. 
transitioning from high school potentially to colleges and university. That's one lane. I'm very um, passionate about activism and I like to support um, amazing activists that we have in our city. I think they deserve our support. So I'd like to help in that area. Um, I, I debated coming back to basketball, but my heart is just not in it right now. I really love the game, but right now I need to see some things in education before I'm able to return to it. Um, and truthfully, I want to just hang with my kids. Man. I just want to be a dad. I just want to hang with my daughter and hear her sing. And, you know, my son likes Lego, so I, I want to do that stuff. But, you know, there's so many things that are happening in education that we really want to change that um, it takes away from family sometimes. So I think what I'd like to do in the future is give as much time as I can to my family and let them know how much I love them and how thankful I am for, for them allowing me to do this work. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you. So one of our last questions, or our last question for you is, what are some resources that you think are needed in order to educate students about Black culture, history, and issues and injustices? Well, number one, a unit. <laughs> like a full unit. I was involved with some curricular resource packaging a year ago. And uh, the first thing I kind of mentioned when I got there was like, okay, how do we diversify everything? Um, how do we make sure that everyone's voices are heard? Um, how do we look at the gaps that are in education? And how do we try and plug them in? No, one thing for sure is to create either a unit or some type of uh, specialization, specification within every single social studies, English, mathematics, science, all the core subjects and beyond uh, dedicated to various cultures. You know, this year we brought in Sherelle Jerry and Ivan Toku to teach dance in high school uh, in, in Alberta. Um, when's the last time we had like um, a sister from Trinidad and a brother from Cameroon teach that in physical education? For some of us, we've never had that. Um, for others, you have had it, but you'd like some more. So we need to start implementing and adding our community as vendors, um, as teachers. Um, the curriculum needs to change. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'll say about that one. Um, but it needs to change. And I think there needs to be more representation in all leadership positions um, in all of Alberta. Um, you can't say that you're diverse and equitable if your entire team doesn't have a single person of color. You just can't. You, you just can't. I mean, you could try, but it's people will point and be like, but wait a second. What, why, how come this person couldn't get that gig? And the community has been doing that. We've been doing that over and over and over again. So I think it starts at all levels. I don't think one level is the home run. I don't think there's one home run. If there was, immediately after the speech, everything would have changed. Immediately after the PTA was organized, things would have changed. Immediately after the anti-racism committees were formed, things would have changed. Immediately after the BSAs started to pop up in Edmonton and Alberta, things would change. It has to take a like a full, all-encompassing approach, and everyone needs to be committed. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to be banging our head on the wall, and that door is not going to open until someone creates the handle. So let's keep working on it. Aside from school, where can students find connections with Black culture if they're wanting to learn more? So we're doing a big project with the Black Teachers Association starting February 1st. It's called 28 Days of Black Excellence. Um, on our Instagram page, we're going to profile a number of different businesses, sporting organizations, community uh, leagues, um, you name it, all areas of the culture. And we plan on doing this not only every uh, February, but 
at least as many times as we can from our page alone. The tough part about this whole, you know, commitment to the community and and, and anti-racism stuff is that a lot of the information resources are being created right now. Um, They did not exist before. And even for our brothers and sisters in the United States of America, when some of these resources are created, government officials and, and some lead officials in education are immediately discrediting it because it goes against the way that education was previously administered. I think you need an open mind in these situations. And unfortunately, uh, there there are no open minds sometimes. So what I'd like to see is our youth having those connections on a one-on-one. So U of A's BSA knows you guys. They know us and the BTA. And I know the Black-Owned Market as well as the Jamaica Association, the National Black Coalition of Canada, and various other groups. That information needs to be readily accessible and created. And we're doing our part as the BTA. But I think that's something that the system itself, the institutions themselves should consider and consider it um, as soon as possible. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Mr. Parker, for doing this podcast episode with us because you are so significant to Albertan Black history and just Black history in general. And it's just such an honor to have you on our podcast, especially for the Black History Month special. I would really want to see if we could connect in the future and maybe work again sometime later on within the podcast because you're just such an influential voice um i just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there and i hope to see you all again soon peace and blessings